I was walking through Piccadilly Gardens this weekend, Yoshi, and I came across that uh, that big wooden sort of plinth thing, the big sort of staging that you're so outraged about. I can see you're already foaming at the mouth at the prospect. I am outraged. I am <laughs> outraged. And I think I've got every right to be. I, I was I was looking at it and, and sort of trying to size it up after the conversation that we'd had last week. And a bus driver said to me, I said, you know what it's you know what it's all about, don't you? And I said, no, I don't. I said, do you have some insider information that you know what this plinth is all about? And he said, Rod Stewart concert. He said, Rod Stewart's going to do a secret concert at Piccadilly Gardens for the Jubilee. <laughs> and I thought he was, jo- I thought it was just, I thought it was a bad joke. I thought he was, I thought he was winding me up, but he was deadly serious. He was completely convinced that Rod Stewart was set to do a secret. Do you have any, do you, is Rod Stewart going to do a secret set at Piccadilly Gardens? If Rod Stewart does a secret set at Piccadilly Gardens, all will be forgiven. And I'll apologize for banging on about this wooden platform. But um, no, I haven't heard that. I don't see it, to be honest. This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello, I'm Daryl Morris, and Yoshi Herman is the editor of The Mill, Manchester's quality newspaper delivered by email. Yoshi, hello there. Happy bank holiday weekend to you. Thank you very much. Do you get one of those in the media industry? I'm not really sure that we do get a bank holiday weekend. I'm taking my bank holiday days, and... um, I am going to my mum's village's jubilee party. I don't know if I told you this already, actually, but my aunt said she's cooking a six-layer cake that's going to be raffled off uh, to the village, or you know, to someone. Um, I don't know what other entertainments are planned, but um, I will be going to my our local park for that, where my mum lives. And there's no wooden platform ruining that part. So. <laughs> well, it really is seeping into every everything. Uh, well, good for you. That sounds exciting. I'm working because somebody's got to keep the media on, haven't they, uh, over the bank holiday weekend. So that responsibility falls to me. I've got some suggestions, actually, uh, for things to do in and around Greater Manchester, including a cracker up in Rochdale and uh, something in Bury that's really worth a visit as well. We'll come to that uh, before the end of the podcast. Uh, and into the news briefing this week, Yoshi, and the things you need to know in and around Greater Manchester, we'll, of course, talk about travel. Uh, misguided, the Manchester, one of Manchester's big employers, uh, has gone bust this week and has been bought out by Fraser Group. We'll talk about that. But let's start, uh, Yoshi, uh, mainly because I can feel the sort of heat emanating from you if we don't start here uh, with Piccadilly Gardens and the the sort of wooden staging that's been erected there for the last couple of weeks Um, and you've been asking some questions. Yeah we talked about this last week didn't we there's this wooden platform in Piccadilly Gardens I walk past Piccadilly Gardens every day because I walk from where I live in the northern quarter to our office which as everyone knows is on St Anne's Square and I had clocked that there was this space, but I, th- I guess I hadn't clocked how closed it was because I don't go there every weekend to check out what's going on. And I think I kind of had been assuming that on the weekends they open it up and stuff. But actually, they don't. It barely ever opens up. It's an event space that was put there for the Christmas markets. It's kind of like there were a lot of um, little stalls on there, I think mo- mainly bars from memory. I didn't actually like buy a drink there, but I, a lot of people were enjoying it over the Christmas break. I think it allowed them to do loads of bars on Piccadilly Gardens that they wouldn't have been able to do. Anyway, it turns out that it is only now open for big events. So what you've basically got is you've got a large chunk of one of the big public spaces in Manchester closed. And obviously a lot of people don't love Piccadilly Gardens because it's a quite a chaotic space. There's quite a lot of antisocial behaviour, but actually a lot of people do like it. I think that's what you need to to realise is in the summer, this time of year, but especially as it gets hotter, it's actually 
full of people on a, on a warm day. And that's why I think this matters, is because a massive chunk of, of grassland that a lot of people really like, a lot of benches, the, the fountain in particular a lot of people like, has been closed. So um, Jack Dalhansi for the mill has been asking the council lots of questions, you know, wh- how much is it going to be open this year? He worked out it's only been open for 3% of this year so far, so 97% of the time it's been closed, which is, which is nuts. Um, and he worked out that even if, even if they held all the events that they say they're going to hold there for the rest of the year, over the course of 2022, it will be closed for 80% of the time, right? So open open 20%. So, yeah, I think it's a legitimate problem. And we spoke to a couple of people who kind of academics who specialize in in issues about public space, including Dr. Morak Rose, who, who has a really interesting group that kind of champion public space. And she said... Uh, this is a quote from her. Piccadilly Gardens isn't brilliantly designed at, at the moment, which is a bit of an understatement. She goes on, but you can o- you only have to walk through there on a sunny day to see what the people use it. I think there's a subtext about the demonization of the gardens, and it is about class, close quotes. And I really agree with her, actually. I think a lot of the way people talk about Piccadilly Gardens is down to the fact that the kind of people who hang out there are not the kind of people who maybe, you know, regeneration experts designed to have in your big square in the city centre. There's a lot of recent immigrants who hang out there, delivery drivers, you've got students. Um, frankly, it's a different class of people than um, than you'd get on Cutting Room Square or on St. Peter's Square, not that anyone really hangs out there. So, yeah, seems like a shame to me. And actually, after we did that story, someone sent me a screenshot of one of Pat Carney's tweets. He's the councillor who's who leads on the city centre for the council. And he was responding to a tweet in February and he said to someone, we have left them, I think that means the the platforms, because there are kind of two platforms next to each other. We have left them up for the Irish Festival in two weeks. The new plans for the gardens will be published soon. But that was in February. So he wasn't saying, are they going to be going to be there for the rest of the year? He was saying, you know, they'll be there for that one thing. So, yeah, the whole thing to me is that, you know, it's, it's obviously not the biggest deal in the world. But I think... Uh, public space actually really does matter in a city, and, and I think there should be more clarity and a bit more democracy in how it's um, how it's used. Mm, really interesting, and you can read that piece. It's really worth a read, and, and there are some reflections on the sort of uh, broader privatisation of Greater Manchester's public spaces. Uh, Manchestermill.co.uk. Also, really worth reading uh, what happened when you Yoshi sent Danny off into Piccadilly Gardens to meet some of the people who uh, sort of make up that big sort of blob of people that you will see if you if you walk through there. Who are they? What are their stories? Where have they come from? And it's really fascinating. It gives you a real window into um, a part of Greater Manchester, a part of sort of Manchester city centre that's had a bad rap over the years. Okay, manchestermill.co.uk is where you go to read those and to subscribe. Misguided Yoshi um, is either a, a, a sort of a fast fashion brand that you rely on, you get your um, £11 dress through the post ahead of the uh, ahead of a weekend out, or it's your employer and a big part of your, you know, your, your life in Greater Manchester. It's a big Manchester employer, Yoshi, and it's been in the news this week because it's um, effectively gone under. Yeah, I was asking Rafaro, who is our brilliant editor and producer before this, uh, before we recorded this, what what makes Misguided different from, you know, you Boohoo or Pretty Little Thing or all these other brands. And it seems like there isn't that much that makes it different. It's another very, very cheap fast fashion brand that aims to sell, you know, um, clothes that have become popular, um, stars that have become popular on Instagram, aims to sell them very, very cheaply and make them very, very cheaply. It was founded in 2008 um, by a founder 
um, who had a factory in, in Presswich. Um, and he, he said he got a loan off his dad and he started this, this site and it took off. It went into administration on Monday. Um, last week, there were reports about suppliers not being paid, um, creditors petitioning for liquidation. Um, and in, what's happened now is that Fraser's group, uh, which is run by Sports Direct owner Mike Ashley, um, has bought Misguided um, for 20 million. Um, so it looks like the brand will continue, even though I doubt the kind of Manchester operation of it will will survive in any sort of uh, major way. Um, it's going to be administrated by its um, its administrators for, for for a while as well. Um, you know, Manchester's kind of become known for these fast fashion retailers. I mean, I live quite nearby where the Boohoo office is. There's also one called Nasty Gal. <laughs> there's one called yeah. There's obviously Misguided. There's pretty a pretty little thing I think is the one that isn't based here but there are there are a few that are based here and on the one hand you know they create jobs in Manchester and a lot of young people particularly young women work at these companies I think on the other hand they have really serious questions about their supply chains there have been scandals to do with these companies relating to underpaid workers kind of sweatshop type scenarios um, I think there's a major question about as a society whether you want to have lots of people buying clothes that are so cheap that cheaper than a cocktail and that you therefore wear for like one night out or one festival and then you literally throw it away i mean that doesn't seem like a a, a thing that we as a society can kind of sustain in the long run but um yeah this is quite a significant bit of uh, business news mm, yeah for sure okay elsewhere yoshi uh, travel delays have become uh, oh, a fixture, haven't they, on the news in the last couple of um, weeks and months? What on earth would we have talked about? What would I have talked about for uh, the 15 minutes that I had to fill on my television show, my radio show over the weekend, uh, if it wasn't for being able to reach for some classic news about somebody somewhere being stuck at an airport? And in fact, it was somebody stuck at Manchester Airport for 14 hours in the airport, or maybe may even 16 hours before having their flight cancelled whilst they were on it on the tarmac. This is a really sharp end of the travel delays, and they are pretty severe in the bank, over the Bank Holiday weekend, aren't they? Yeah, which was maybe inevitable because there have been all these problems at Manchester Airport to do with, mainly with baggage handling, I think. Getting baggage onto the planes has been one of the big uh, bottlenecks. And I think we're in, we're in half term now. So all these sort of dysfunctional problems have really come to a fore. There was a um, there was a disabled passenger who was left on on a landed plane for two hours because no one could help him off. There was a co-pilot who was seen sort of getting his hands dirty and, and loading luggage onto his own flight, which apparently made him a hero among the um, among the passengers. There's a video of a police officer being left to explain the conditions of refunds and, and complimentary travel vouchers and that kind of thing to to holidaymakers. In particular, it looks like TUI, um, the travel group slash airline, they, they've cancelled lots of their trips from, from Manchester Airport. And yeah, a lot of people are absolutely fuming. Um, the mill probably isn't the place people naturally go to read about the carnage at Manchester Airport, but the MEN will supply you with literally dozens of different stories about it every day. So if, if, if holiday travel, carnage is your thing, head over to the MEN. <laughs> and we were having, we were having a hot argument, uh, Yoshi, before we uh, began recording this week's episode of the podcast, about how much this really matters. Because you're not massively, you're not sort of really sold, are you? <laughs> it might seem really hypocritical, given that I started this podcast talking about a wooden platform on in in a, in a park and saying that that really matters. 
I don't, I don't think it doesn't matter. But I, I was in a group chat with some friends earlier and one of them said, look, also, is it me? But we have kids that, you know, only get one meal a day at the moment. We've got a cost of living crisis. We've got people going to McDonald's so they can get some heating. And for some reason, I have to read about someone's half-term holiday being cancelled on TUI. And I kind of know what he means. It obviously matters. Like, it should get coverage. I think the reason it gets blanket coverage in, for example, the MEN and some of the tabloids is like a bit similar to the reason that Man United gets blanket coverage versus other football teams. It's not because Man United is more like important. It's because editors know it's going to get clicks. Like viral videos of people losing it in an airport are funny and like, and they're like, you know, they're anger making if you do have a flight. And I think it, I think it, it drives a lot of traffic. Do I think it should get like <laughs> necessary? this much public discussion in like the media I'd, I don't know it is holidays it is discretionary like we do have like a lot of really really horrible cost of living um, storylines at the moment so I don't know what do you think yeah, I understand. I get. I get. When you, when you, I mean, you hold anything up against the, the the cost of living, I suppose, and it's it's hard to argue, isn't it? There are certainly people who are who are right at the sharp end right now. But I don't know. I think I think it's. I think that they are things that people save up for for a long time. I think that they are. They're quite formative, right? That you you know, like I think about some of the best memories that I've got, the the best relationships that you know, those moments of relation forming relationships between my siblings. Or what about some of the worst moments? Some of the worst moments of life are on holidays too. <laughs> <laughs> are they? When, when did you go? On I had a particularly awful trip to Florida once um, that just descended into complete acrimony among my mum, dad and the rest of our family. But anyway, I look, I am going on holiday this weekend. I'm driving to Belgium. If my ferry gets cancelled, I will be fuming and I will be calling up the mirror and telling them about it. So. And you can expect the lead story on next week's podcast to be exactly that. Okay, uh, elsewhere, Yoshi, uh, there was, and, and here's, not, here's something that you won't find me uh, saying very often, but there was a fascinating planning committee meeting this week. I mean, these things actually are quite interesting, aren't they? But there was one that was really significant for a, um, a particular region. Yeah, I think they're often quite tedious, to be fair, but occasionally, <laughs> occasionally they are good. kind. <laughs> the interesting one about this one is that there seems to be a bit of a... Sw- I'm not enough of a kind of council watcher to be really confident in, in, in this take. And I actually think we should probably get Joseph Tymon on because he's the local democracy reporter who covers Manchester City Council um, for the local democracy reporting service, which um, which is a you know a BBC-funded, licence-fee-funded thing. So we should actually get Joe on so and we can ask him, was this take correct? But my sense, just from having like a tiny bit of an eye on this, is that the planning committee in Manchester, which used to get a hell of a lot of heat for just waving through development after development after development, my feeling is that they're being a little bit more stiff in their resistance. They're showing a bit more resistance to some measures. So this week we had this controversial block of flats, uh, student flats, um, which is going to be built where the Gamecock pub is currently in Hume. There's been this big uh, campaign called Block the Block. There's a feeling among some activists that Hume is being studentified. It's like a word that they've created from gentrified. I don't think it quite works. hasn't taken off. But like they're, they're saying like, the the proximity of Hume to the universities means that lots of developers are now building massive student blocks. They're changing the character of the area. There is some local residents in like nearby blocks, particularly elderly ones who are unhappy about this block. So anyway, this big student block of flats has been knocked back by the planning committee. The members gave it a, a minded to refuse verdict, meaning that it'll, it'll return to the committee for a final vote next month. That might mean it goes through then. Often it seems to be, happen like that. But anyway, that one hasn't gone ahead. 
Then there's also an enormous one in Anko, it's quite near where I live, which does look kind of ludicrously tall for the area. That also has been knocked back. There, there are a couple of schemes where like, effectively the councillors have said, look, we're going to go on a site visit. So my sense is that the kind of public disquiet about schemes in Manchester that don't seem to fit into a neighbourhood or that look a bit awry or the general feeling that you pick up from some mill readers that developers get everything that they want in Manchester, which I don't think is quite true, but I think there is a general feeling that developers get whatever they want. I think that is now being met with a little bit of resistance from the planning committee, or at least those sentiments have been picked up by the councillors on the planning committee. The planning committee has changed in composition a little bit, and there seems to be a little bit more of a, hang on, no, let's scrutinise this a little bit more. Plus, there's this interesting thing where the council staff in, in charge of planning, um, the Roscoes, Dave Roscoe and his wife, who I can't remember her name, they are stepping down and there will be a new people in those jobs and therefore you get might get a, a, you know, a different take t- to that. And it matters a lot because these this is the department in Manchester City Council who meet the developers and who meet the, the home builders and who say, you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, you have to make it t- uh, shorter. You have to make it fit with the local design code. You need to give us this much for affordable housing or like you don't because we've looked at your viability assessment. So it matters a lot. And I don't exactly know where I stand on it, but I have, I have kind of seen there's been, um, there's been a bit of a change of approach from the planning committee. Okay. I don't want to be a polemicist for the sake of it, Yoshi, and pick an argument for no reason, but uh, I quite like studentrified. I quite like that. I think that works. The thing is, gentrified hasn't really picked off among, like, normal people. So I think, you know, <laughs> you know, get, a, get, a, get that out of the academic activist space into normal people's vocabulary before you start expanding it. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair point. A bit of breaking news. We don't normally do breaking news on uh, podcasts, do we, Yoshi? <laughs> it doesn't doesn't tend to work very well. Uh, but this is just landing in our lap as we uh, record the Manchester Weekly this week, uh, and it's some news on the clean air zone, Yoshi. What's um, what's this development? Yeah, it's the latest in this saga. The government has said to Greater Manchester, effectively to Andy Burnham, that his revised idea for having a clean air zone that doesn't have charges attached to it won't work. Um, they're, they're rejecting that idea. Um, they've said that it does need to include charges, but it can include them over a smaller area, like, for example, in the city centre. I'm just having a look at the letter that was sent to Burnham from the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. It says, as the Prime Minister has, was, has made clear, we regard a region-wide charging CAS clean air zone, covering many rural and semi-rural areas with very low levels of air pollution as the wrong answer. Um, And then they go on to say, early thoughts, this is from the the, um, MP George Eustace at the department, the minister, early thoughts by my department are that you should be challenging yourselves to a reduction of the zone by some 95% or more. Similar or more ambitious schemes have been introduced or are soon to be introduced in several other city centres which suffer less serious air quality problems than Manchester's. So they're basically saying that original zone, which is absolutely enormous for charging and which kicked up enormous opposition in Stockport and Bolton and a lot of the peripheral areas of GM, the government seems to be saying it should cover... um, you should reduce that size by about 95%. So I guess that would be right into the city centre. So that's from uh, that's from what the government's saying. Um, and I guess we'll see next week or you know in, in the weeks ahead how that intervention changes the scheme. 
And there's a tweet, I think, from Andy Burnham, wasn't there, earlier today, in which he said, finally, the government has been forced to tell the truth. They are the ones insisting on charging a clean air zone, including vans and taxis, he says. He says, we will oppose this and continue to argue for non-charging CAS, clean air zone, for Greater Manchester, based on incentives and not charges. So that's that's um, Andy Burnham's instant reaction uh, to... Uh, to that from the Department for uh, the Environment and Energy, etc. Uh, in fact, no, I should get that right, shouldn't I? What is it? Let me let me do it justice. Uh, it is the uh, the Secretary of State for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. Uh, next week, by the way, or this weekend on the Mill Podcast. Uh, we are taking a deep dive into another big story you might have seen kicking about this week, into the Royal Exchange. Yoshi will talk more in our special podcast at Sunday. Don't forget, you're going to get a new podcast in your feed every Thursday and Sunday from now on with a deep dive story on Sunday. Can you give us a bit of a flavour, Yoshi, about as to why we're going to be talking about the Royal Exchange this week? This time last week, we reported that a big summer show at the Royal Exchange, Red Velvet, had been cancelled because one of the co-artistic directors at the Royal Exchange was off with stress. And for some reason, they hadn't been able to find a different director for it. And I think that story probably pointed at some deeper problems at the Royal Exchange. And after that, people started to get in touch who used to work there, who still work there, who go there often. And, and suddenly we had more and more sources saying... Yeah, here's what I think, Here, there are these problems, there are these problems. So the story that you're talking about will probably be out on the mill to read by the time this podcast goes out, or, or quite soon after at least. Um, and then on this weekend, we're going to be talking about it on our special podcast. And it's really about how a theatre has been buffeted by the pandemic, made very, very severe cuts in its staffing, and now I think suffers from a bit of a identity crisis or a crisis about what it really is going to be in this new post-pandemic era. At least that's what some people have said. So there are some quite sad stories in, the, in, in that piece and, and, and that we'll talk about on our, on our Sunday podcast about people who got laid off as well. So it's not, it's not a happy story. Okay, that's in your feed on Sunday. So click uh, like, subscribe on this podcast and hear it first. Be notified as it lands in your podcast every Thursday and Sunday in your podcast feed. Let's have a look at the nods for the weekend, Yoshi, and uh, some bits and bobs going on around Greater Manchester over the next couple of days. What's happening? What's happening is loads of different... Um jubilee stuff but I th the one that i noticed just because it's on st Anne's square outside our office is the manchester flower show which has got flower displays gardens um blooms to celebrate the the jubilee but there's also the arndale there's this whole trail you can do there's you've got the arndale you've got something at selfridges you've got uh, something at the cathedral you've got i'm um, kind of king street on here and yeah another king street one so city center manchester um flower show uh, looks really good Nice, lots and lots of stuff going on there then. And it is a busy old weekend, isn't it, in Greater Manchester with the uh, with the extra days and the Jubilee. I'm going to, um, I'm going to rattle through a couple of the things that's, that caught my eye and there's something for everybody in here. Uh, Rochdale are having their street food festival this weekend with the Jubilee. They've got a, a whole range of cuisines from local restaurant chefs who sort of all come together and they charge a flat rate of £4.50 uh, for everything, which I think is a really, really nice idea. They've got a bar there and some refreshments and entertainment and stuff like that. Free to get in, obviously £4.50 
10.50 for the food. Uh, starts Friday, uh, runs 11 till 7. Refuge on Oxford Road are hosting loads of DJs for a Jubilee party on Friday as well, if that's more your bag, uh, from 1 o'clock into the early hours. Yard and Coop uh, in the Northern Quarter are playing with the Queen's pun. Uh, they're going to be hosting a God Save the Queen's Day with Manchester's Drag Queens doing a Royal Variety performance uh, from 12 till 2 on Friday afternoon, if that's your thing. Uh, a slightly different vibe at Berry Parish Church, I suspect, uh, who are hosting a, a a big concert on Saturday night uh, with loads of sort of the musical talents of Berry on show uh, for the Queen's Jubilee. Uh, but my standout pick, I think, for the weekend is the East Lanks Railway that are hosting one of their famous 1940s weekends with a Jubilee twist. Uh, you can get tickets to the actual train, so you can travel the train across the, the East Lanks Railway. Um, or you can just uh, pop up at the sort of various events. Just check at where that um, is stopping off. And each of those sort of little towns will have loads of stalls and the you know, sort of local businesses come out for it and people get dressed up as well. It's a cracking, cracking weekend. It's a real highlight. My secret tip for that would be to head to Ramsbottom Station to see the steamer come through there. But there's also loads of stalls that they put out around Ramsbottom sta- Station. And that's always one of the focal points of it for me. So really worth visit i think okay that's you armed with everything you need to know and lots to do in greater manchester for the jubilee weekend as well we're back in your podcast feed on sunday with an edition dedicated to the royal exchange we'll take a deep dive into the ins and outs of uh, a struggling institution in manchester and don't forget that the mill newsletter is full of stuff like that news events and deep dives into big stories you can get that direct to your inbox by subscribing manchestermill.co.uk 